All right. Well, if you were here last week or were able to uh, listen to the recording, Pastor Jeremy opened um, our series on James by giving us an overview of the main theme of the book, which is that real faith works. So we saw that though God's people are certainly not accepted by God on the basis of our good works, we are nevertheless called to be doers of the word and not just hearers. And insofar as this is not happening in our lives, James challenges us to check ourselves, much like one would check uh, his or her appearance in a mirror each morning. And so by looking carefully at our lives, the mirror of God's law, we are able to see more and more the ways in which we fall short of God's standard. But the purpose of this is not to drive us to guilt or despair, but rather to spur us on to further obedience with the goal that over time, we will be able to look in that mirror and see the cumulative effect of growth as we are shaped more and more into the image of Christ. So this morning, we're going to be examining what that looks like, pun intended, when it comes to the issue of favoritism or partiality. So if you would open or click or scroll over to James chapter 2, that's where we're going to be, James chapter 2. So as a quick recap, James, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus, is writing to believers within a few decades of Jesus' ascension into heaven. At the end of chapter 1, in addition to saying, be doers of the word and not just hearers, he has started to unpack what that looks like. Um, So even though this starts at uh, chapter 2, verse 1, I'm actually going to read the last two verses of chapter 1 as well, just to kind of give us the flow of what James is saying. So starting at the end of uh, James chapter 1. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, this is chapter 2, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
So we see that James has already drawn a strong connection here between pure religion that pleases God and the way that we respond to those around us who are less fortunate, in this case, widows and orphans. Insofar as God's people fail to do this, we are failing to keep ourselves unstained by the world around us, which is not really known for its concern for the outcasts of society. Even more seriously, if we have an attitude of favoritism, we are completely inconsistent um, in our faith in our Lord Jesus, who James describes here as the Lord of glory or the glory, which is a clear reference to his divine nature, to the fact that Jesus is God himself. Put simply, James is saying that Christians who play favorites are walking contradictions. This is our first point this morning. God does not play favorites, and so neither should we. God does not play favorites, and so neither should we. So it should come as no surprise that one of the primary markers of God's people should be that we naturally express love and mercy to those around us, particularly to those who are in no position to reciprocate this. Why? Because that's exactly the way our Heavenly Father is. We worship a God who shows love to his enemies, a God who gives without expecting or demanding repayment, a God who identifies himself as full of grace and mercy, Think about the the words from Matthew 5 and our call to worship this morning. So as his people, how can we act any differently? Sadly, in our fallen world, we all too often succumb to the temptation to pick and choose who we want to extend love to. This is nothing new. James has much to say about this temptation. Look at verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So the word partiality here is a compound word in the original language that can be translated literally as face receiving. So the idea is that you treat a person differently based on their outward appearance. It's uh, very likely that James is thinking of Leviticus 19 here, um, which specifically prohibits God's people from receiving the faces using those same two words that James puts together as a compound word in a way that would twist judgment against them, for better or for worse. And so because of this, some have even suggested that the example that James uses in this passage may not necessarily be referring to a typical Sunday morning church service, but may be referring to a church court or a dispute between members of the body of Christ. Regardless of whether that's the case, the principle is the same. God's people do not play favorites. Let's look at James' example. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, but you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So in his first century Jewish context, James chooses to focus on wealth as a catalyst for discrimination here. And surely this temptation continues even today. We may not necessarily be gauging each other's social standing based on how nicely we are dressed on any given Sunday, but we would probably notice if somebody experiencing homelessness walked in. I can remember uh, teaching a Sunday school class at a previous church several years ago, um, and in the middle of the lesson, somebody who frequented the nearby highway intersection walked in. 
Now, ultimately, this person was welcomed and greeted and continued to participate, not just that day, but for the duration of the class. But I can remember, to my shame, some of the initial thoughts and feelings I had when they first walked in. Why is this person here? Do they think that we have food here? This is kind of uncomfortable. It's a terrible attitude, right? I mean, the church of all places should be a place where beggars feel the most welcome. Yet in my selfishness, I was so wrapped up in how it made me feel that I completely lost sight of the fact that Jesus' message is for the beggars of the world. And if we're honest, that's all of us, right? Wealth is far from the only thing that tempts us to play favorites. A quick glance at scripture and the history of the church reveals many different things. Many of these come from very dark moments in church history. We could look at Galatians 2, where such stalwarts as Peter the Apostle and Barnabas, the son of encouragement, discriminated against Gentiles within the early church, leading Paul to have to call them out publicly. We could look at the church in Rome. Much of the letter to the Romans addresses the fact that the church went from being predominantly Jewish to being almost entirely Gentile, and then back to being a Jewish-Gentile mix and addressing all the conflicts that arose because of that. We don't have to go very far back in the history of our own country to find way too many examples of Christians refusing to have fellowship with those with a different outward appearance, right? The United States has a very sad history of predominantly majority white churches refusing to accept those who are ethnic minorities. And a lot of those effects still continue today, which makes this a really powerful call to the church, not just today, but for all time. There are also many different ways to play favorites, right? James has given us an illustration that's obviously wrong. Like, we can read that and think, that's messed up. That should never happen. I would never do that. But a lot of times, we can be a lot more subtle, right? We might never act the way that these verses describe, but do we know that these attitudes exist within our own hearts? Perhaps we naturally give more or less weight to what fellow believers say based on outward appearance. Perhaps we naturally gravitate toward or away from fellow believers for these reasons. Whatever form favoritism or partiality may take, Scripture strongly rebukes all who practice it, naming them judges with evil motives. In other words, when we do this, we are just like a corrupt judge who will tip the scales of justice for personal gain or to suit their own fancy. This is not who our Lord is, and so this cannot characterize us as his people. God does not play favorites, and so neither should we. If that isn't enough, James makes it clear that nothing good comes from playing favorites. This is our second point. Nothing good comes from playing favorites. So James gives us three reasons that it's folly and foolishness to act this way. So the first of those reasons is that God cares about the poor. Look at verses 5 and 6. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Scriptures replete with examples of God's special concern for the poor. Think of the enslaved Israelites in Egypt. Think of Ruth and Naomi. Think of Mary and Joseph, the parents of our Lord. Not to mention the multitudes who flocked to hear and to be healed by Jesus. 
Beyond that, think of humanity's state before God. If our greatest need is redemption from our fallen state, then we are all completely destitute. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. How can we celebrate such a Savior and then turn around and dishonor people who are made in God's image, who are just like us? God cares about the poor. James' second argument, the rich give no reward. He continues in verse 6, Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So not only does favoring the rich rub against the grain of God's character, but it doesn't pay off, even in the short term. It's kind of like James is asking his audience, so how's that going for you? We may think that deferring to those with wealth and power will result in favorable reciprocation, but that was clearly not the case for the church in the first century, nor is it the case today. We don't have to look very far to see that when God's people attempt to curry favor with the world, the inevitable result is mistreatment of the less fortunate, as well as the blaspheming of Christ's name and reputation. Now, as a quick uh, caveat here, should we read this passage as just a blanket condemnation of all those who are wealthy based on their physical means? No. Uh, in fact, the passage that James is drawing from, Leviticus 19, specifically prohibits receiving faces of the poor as well as the rich. So the goal of this passage is not for God's people to not be rich and to be poor. The goal of this passage is for God's people to be like God, who does not give special preference to those who are rich according to the world's standards. It is important to note that the passage condemns the actions of those who are rich and not the fact that they are rich. James will have much more to say on the subject of greed and money, but that is another subject for another sermon. So God cares about the poor. Favoring the rich gives no reward. And James' third argument is that playing favorites violates the law of God. Look at verses 8 and following. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So James concludes his argument here with the climactic point that playing favorites is a blatant violation of God's law. Specifically, favoritism is incompatible with loving your neighbor, which is also from Leviticus 19. James refers to this as the royal law, or perhaps a better way to translate this would be the kingdom law. It's related to the word that he's used already in verse 5, reminding us that those who love God will inherit God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, we love our neighbor as ourselves regardless of their social status, 
background, or whatever distinction we may be tempted to draw. Anything that falls short of this falls short of God's standard. We simply cannot pick and choose which neighbors we are willing to love any more than we can pick and choose which parts of God's law we are willing to obey. And if we go to great lengths to keep other parts of God's law, while at the same time excusing the sin of partiality in our individual lives and or in our church community, we show ourselves to be mere hearers of the word. We delude ourselves. God is not after partial obedience. We are to be holy just as he is holy. So where does this leave us? God does not play favorites, but the temptations for us to do so are ever-present and can be very strong and hard to overcome. So what hope is there? What is the antidote to playing favorites? Well, James tells us in verses 12 and 13, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so mercy gets the final word. This is our last point. Mercy gets the final word. The good news of this passage is that we have to do with a God who does not deal with us as our sin deserves, but with a God who delights to show mercy. Consider these words of Jesus from Luke 6. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even the sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. And thus far, we might be tempted to think, wow, like this is a warning, right? We ought to show mercy because otherwise judgment is coming. But that's not where Jesus ends, nor is it where James ends. Continuing in verse 6, Love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. These words are undoubtedly a challenge to God's people, and we ignore them to our peril. But if that's the only thing we see, we're missing out on the even more significant truth behind them. Our God does not play favorites. Our God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Our God delights to show us mercy. That's the message of our glorious Lord Jesus. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the gospel. Christ, though he was rich, became poor so that lowly destitute sinners like you and me could be saved. Even when we had no resources of our own, indeed when we were enemies of God, Christ came for us. If our response is to play favorites with the people around us, it reveals that we have not understood that truth properly. But if we turn our gaze away from what the world regards, 
outward appearances and turn our eyes to Christ in faith, how can we do anything besides welcome and seek out the widows and the orphans and the poor of this world? How can we do anything besides extend the same grace of God that we enjoy to all people? And so God's people are not called to play favorites because we're afraid that judgment is coming. We're called to not play favorites because we're called to be like God who has not played favorites with us. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you um, that you have come for the, the meek and the lowly of this world, Lord. And we thank you that you do not measure that the way that the world measures that. Lord, we thank you that though we were enemies of you, you have come to reconcile us to God. You have come to meet our deepest need. We pray, Lord, that as we look in the mirror of your law, that we would see the areas where we fall short of your standard. We would see the areas where we are tempted to show partiality to the people around us. But, Lord, we pray that our response would not be to run to the law in, in an effort to do better, but our response would be to run to the cross, to draw closer to the God who does not play favorites, and to be shaped by your spirit to be more and more the way you are. We pray that as individuals, as families, as a church, Lord, that we would reflect your character in this way. And we thank you and we praise you that you are a God who shows mercy and that in your economy, mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen.